Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to another episode of A Christian Voice. So a friend sent me a link. Oh, you have to watch this. It's so wonderful. It's definitely worth watching. And I look at the link, and it's PragerU. I have never been a fan of Dennis Prager, ever. Nonetheless, to please her, I did watch it. Um, it's a fireside chat, episode 188. And actually, it was really, really wonderful. Definitely worth a watch. I'm going to put the link in the description, as always. But I'm going to play that for you today in full, because I think everyone needs to hear this. She was right. It's definitely worth the hour. And um, I'm going to have to go back and give Mr. Prager another shot, because it's really good. All right, here we go. Without further ado. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Fireside Chat number 188. Each week, I marvel at how many we've done, and I love them, to be honest. It's my chance to talk to you completely spontaneously about whatever is on my mind and take questions from you about whatever is on your mind. On rare occasions, I have a guest. And I emphasize the word rare because I really do like to have this time alone with you. But I also emphasize it for another reason. There's something special about the person if they are a guest on the Fireside Chat. And I can now say, in this case, actually love the person that I will be uh, dialoguing with. This is, let me tell you, this is a very uh, from my heart statement. When I was a kid, a lot of, I realized a lot of things about life and about myself already in high school. And in high school and college, I, I realized I had a very good Geiger detector for goodness. I had a very dear friend, still do, and he had a Geiger detector for intelligence. His first reaction, when we would meet the same person for the first time, he would go, God, that guy was bright or, you know, say nothing. And my, I never cared how bright people were. I, I have a whole, well, I should do a fireside chat on intelligence. It just occurred to me, that would be a very important thing. It's wildly overrated. In any event, I did though, and I've been right. That's the amazing thing. I've never actually really been hurt by a friend. I, I know a good person pretty quickly. This is a good person. He is Pastor Rob McCoy, Christian pastor of the Cavalry. No, Calvary. You know, I practiced that four <laughs> times before the show, and I got it wrong now. And I'm not going to even have this edited out. I am okay with that boo-boo. <laughs> anyway, the Calvary uh, Baptist, no, not Baptist, just Calvary Church. I can be whatever you want. Yes, you could. That is true. Uh, he is one of the America's best-known pastors because he is a fighter. There aren't many fighters, whether in religion or outside of religion. It's one of the subjects we're going to talk about. He was also, believe it or not, the mayor of the city in which his church is located, uh, and that is mayor of Thousand Oaks. He was in the city council, and he has uh, achieved a, a great deal of fame, or if you will, notoriety, <laughs> uh, for having opened up during the lockdowns and defied the authorities. We're going to talk about that issue. Can a religious person, specifically a Christian, defy the authorities when the New Testament seems to suggest that God has placed the authorities where they are? So how does he justify such a thing? So there's a lot to talk to you about. 
And I wanted to call him pastor or mayor, and he insisted on Rob, and I'm totally okay with that because we know each other for a while. I might add one more thing to give you an idea what a special man he is. He comes in and look at what he brought me. These are not only, this is not only a large quantity of cigars. I know cigars. They are expensive cigars. And I'm mentioning this to give you an idea of the type of man he is, but also to suggest that all guests emulate him (laughs) in the future. This is a beautiful precedent that you have set uh, for me. By the way, you don't know this. My first, what about 20, 30 fireside chats, I smoked a cigar. And, and then was it uh, uh, Facebook. Facebook said, you can't do that. You can't smoke. So I said, well, if it's a joint, won't that be fine? I'm sure if it was a joint, yeah, that would that, be yeah. not, not an issue. Anyway, <laughs> that's the only reason that I don't. Anyway, Rob, it is great, great to see you. Too does. And uh, thank you for coming uh, to uh, Fireside Chat. So let's begin with the, some of the heavy stuff. You did, in fact open against uh, the authorities, especially in California, and uh, certainly uh, local authorities where you did. When did you open up your church? Wide open was May 31st, where we did no social distancing, no mass, but defying the- That's gov- May 31st, remember, of last year. Yeah, of last year. I just year. want to make that clear. Thank you. And and But defying the governor was April 4th of that of 2020, because that was our holy week and it was Palm Sunday where we take communion. And, and they said the church was non-essential and you can't celebrate communion. Even if we followed CDC standards, which we did, uh, but we defied that. Wait, in other words, you mean, you mean that people sitting in their cars? No. Uh, so our sanctuary holds 400 seats. We had yeah. 10 chairs and it took three and a half hours to do communion. And we would clean it up after everyone leave. Each of the elements were separated. We just followed CDC standards, but they said you still can't practice communion. Costco, everything else is open, abortion clinics, cannabis distributors, liquor stores, but a church can't practice a sacrament. And and all those other organizations aren't covered by the First Amendment. We are. And it was our sacrament. And it was it was our holy week. So we did communion. Because if the governor wants to say that the church is non-essential, Christianity says that the church is the bride of Christ. And I've been married to Michelle for 31 years. You come to me and tell me my wife's non-essential, you'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. That pastors should defend the, the sanctity of the church and defend it, its validity, and it is essential, and it's critical in community. I'm going to return to the First Amendment and, and to my total agreement with you, uh, as you know. What, what I, uh, I just was disappointed in how few uh, pastors, priests, and rabbis did what you did. So before we go back to you, do you have a thought on why so few did what you did? The, the reason why other pastors didn't open up, and love hopes all things, pastors uh, are, by nature try to avoid conflict in their peacemakers, but they don't understand that peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God in the midst of the conflict because you're gonna have competing ideologies and there will be conflict, but you're to stand your ground and you're gonna have a personal peace in the midst of that battle. They think peace is the absence of conflict, so they avoid it at all costs. And if the governor says, you're not essential, you can't open, they don't wanna cause waves. But they need to understand 
they are the ones who, who put forward to society what liberty is. Liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. The entirety of the scriptures, both the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, which also include the Jewish scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, cover to cover, it's all about freedom. S setting the captives free in Exodus, uh, in, in our, what we call the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, I think 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The apostle Paul says, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote that in prison. It's all about it's, it's, it's knowing truth and setting you free. It's a verse from the Bible on, on the Liberty Bell, from the Hebrew Bible. Exactly. That it'll, it'll ring throughout the land. Yeah. So if the churches aren't educating their people on liberty. Right. We'll so they'll, they'll answer. Uh, and they do answer. I, I, I know I know it. They'll say, oh, no, the issue is, is, is caring for others. I want you to answer that because you get that a lot. Because, so my argument on the radio and was if you are afraid of going to a church or anywhere else, don't go. Don't go. Or, or wear a mask or, or, or and I'm, I didn't mean it to be cute. I didn't mean it to be even confrontational. Nope. But, but if I'm willing to take that risk, why, on what grounds can you stop me from praying for a year and a half with fellow, with, with my fellow parishioners? So, so when I was brought up for contempt charges, the judge at the time said to my counselor, uh, my attorney, instruct your client on the second great commandment. And what he's referring to is where Jesus says, love the Lord, your, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. And the judge was referring to you're not loving your neighbor because you are exposing them to this virus. Right, right. That's what they say. And, and so I answered the judge and I said, judge, I do love my neighbor. And it's coming at a great cost of $3,000 a fine per service by the government to defend, uh, to, to defend the abuse that are being quarantined with their abusers, to defend the elderly that die alone, to defend the children whose schools have been shuttered, to defend the business owners, it's estimated 60% of the restaurants in our county will never reopen. There's no voice for them. For a virus that has over a 99% survival rate, depending on the county you're in, and they're gonna give you grief on that and probably take you off the air. But the bottom line is, this does not merit the tyranny and the draconian measures, and it's coming at a cost to us. And then I, I, I tell churches that say, we love our community, that's why we haven't opened and we're not political. I go, you're political. You just choose to think you're not. Because by yielding to tyranny, you may have your homeless shelters open and you may have your food banks open and your counseling, but you don't have your church service. And you're yielding to tyranny, which has caused California to have the highest homelessness, the highest poverty, the highest debt. I mean, we can go down the list of, of the miseries in California. And I said, you've helped create the problem and then you fish downstream to fish out the human heartache you help create by, by bowing to tyranny. Your job is to defend the freedom of man. God came to set the captives free. That's our responsibility. Well, I would have kissed you at the time. The, uh, in the name of safety, you mentioned one thing. I didn't want to interrupt you. I have real anger at the medical profession, at the state, at the, at the governments of this country all the people who died alone, mm. uh, my anger, 
I, I'm telling you, it's lucky for them, and I guess for me, that I didn't have a loved one dying during this period. I would have walked into the, the hotel and awaited arrest. My father will not die alone. My wife will not die alone. My friend will not die alone. Dying alone is slightly more cruel than the the uh, minuscule risk of dying from exposure, given exactly the rate you said uh, of, of, of survival uh, in this case. Uh, uh, the, we, we have become a meaner society because of safetyism, and we have become, uh, a, 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 of course, far less free, and, and, and that Americans have accepted it. This was not the America that, that I, I was raised to believe exists. So uh, your, your arguments, in my opinion, were telling. So what did happen? Were you con- con- did they continue to, to, to fine you? Yeah, so, so the first judge was political and predictable, and he honored their emergency temporary restraining order, which we violated. And then we were brought into contempt charges. We papered the first judge, got a second judge who was more reasonable, but he was, he was getting ready to retire. And he didn't want to rule in our favor because he'd make national news. All he wanted was a drink with an umbrella on a beach somewhere. And, right. and so what he did is he reduced the fines, and he didn't permit the supervisors and their attorney to demand that the sheriffs uh, lock our building and arrest us because they named me and a thousand congregants or visitors for citations, which if you have a concealed weapons permit, you lose it. If you have an NROTC scholarship and you get one of these citations, you lose your scholarship. If you're a government employee, employee, I mean, these are, they're serious charges that they're going to bring on people coming to worship God. And, And they have to prove that they're justified in doing what they're doing, that this this merits the emergency. And at the time, we did a Freedom of Information Act. And at the time of a little over 100 deaths in a county of 758,000, a little over 100 deaths attributed to COVID, only two died from COVID. The, de- the rest died with. The youngest victim died of a fentanyl overdose, mm. but had COVID. So they called they it a call COVID, COVID death. 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 So only two. One was a man in his 90s and a, a woman in her 80s. And, and that's justification to violate the First Amendment, 15th Amendment. I mean, it's endless what they've done to the bi- small businesses, to the churches, the faith community. It's unconscionable. More kids have drowned in bathtubs in California that have died of COVID, and they have shuttered their schools, taken away their livelihood, their friendships. We're watching child abuse is now estimated over 300% increase mm-hmm. in our county because they, sh- and, and they've shuttered the two institutions that are mandated reporters, churches and schools. Mm. And there's still an increase in child abuse and they, they don't even want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We, the highest number of opioid deaths ever recorded in American history in the last 12 months. They, they, they have blood on their hands. This is unconscionable what they did. And the churches should have been the first to stand and say no. But they think that peace is the absence of conflict. And that's their biggest mistake. And then if you want to cover, because I know one of your listeners asked the question, I was moved by it, because it is the question that paralyzed Nazi Germany and silenced the church and allowed this tyrant to devastate humanity. And it's the same thing that's causing us, as Benjamin Franklin said, he who gives up his freedom for, for, for safety deserves neither. Mm-hmm. So go on the answer. So again, what we're answering is the Christian, specifically Christian argument 
that the New Testament says that God the, has established the authorities. Romans that you, 13. That Romans 13 that you have. And by the way, I, I get this a lot from Christians, yeah. uh, uh, even though they know I'm Jewish, but they they know my respect for, for Christianity. And, you know, how do they answer it? So I, I forgive me for saying what I tell them. And I say, forgive me because I want you to answer it. But but I, I, I said, it is inconceivable to me that the God that I worship and you as a Christian worship, the God of the Bible, wants a Christian to obey evil authorities. And I'm not saying these people are evil, but, but at least let's establish that there is a level of Im- Im- immorality and tyranny. Does God... so? Does God really want a Christian to listen to a Hitler or a Stalin? I, I, I mean, so I assume, okay, so you give scriptural basis for what I just said. Yep. Uh, you're, I think it was a 21-year-old young lady uh, who asked the question. I thought it was great. Uh, what's her name? Do you want to play it first? And- oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. So this is I the I just want to give her credit because I thought it was such a great question. Oh, from- well, yeah. we get so great we'll questions, yeah. I have to yeah, say. I- okay. So here we go. Hi, my name is Amanda. I am 21 years old and I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. So when the lockdown first started, I was okay, you know, with staying home. We were trying to figure out this virus thing. Um, But then as the week started going on, things seemed a little bit more sinister. And I started wondering if this would be one of the times that we should obey God rather than man when it came to going to church. So, you know, personally, I'm just a very quiet person. I'm not loud and I don't like to, you know, cause trouble, but I've been trying to figure out as a Christian, when do we stand up against the government? When do we say no? And maybe what were some of your thoughts when you decided to not obey lockdown orders? I I loved every aspect of that question, the Mm -hmm. tenderness of her heart. Yeah, she's great. The sincerity of wanting to know what the scriptures say. And, and, and the desire of obedience, but also not wanting to lose liberty. I, 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 Amanda, correct? Yeah. So uh, for, for Amanda, there was a, a minister. He died in 1766. And John Adams said this minister was responsible for launching the revolution. All of the clergy on the Eastern seaboard at that time looked at Romans 13, which says God appoints all positions of authority were to submit to them because he appoints them and we're to submit to them. But it also goes on to say, and they're appointed for our good. Jonathan Mayhew said, if they're not doing good, they're no longer the authority. Right. And that's where they get the idea in the Declaration of Independence, not for light and transient causes. But when you're saying that the church is non-essential, you got a problem. And, and Jonathan Mayhew, when, he's, when he wrote that and did that exegetical study of Romans 13 that inspired the revolution, he said, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. And that was the moniker that carried oh, the revolution. Was it from him? From him. Oh, what a great, uh, and, th- and, right. And now, that was back when they were dealing with King George and they were dealing with violations. And now we have a constitutional republic and these folks govern by our consent. And one of the reasons why I stepped down from the city council is because I knew I'd be violating the governor's order. I knew that the council would hold me they mm-hmm. would censure me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they'd be violating their oath of office. Because when I took that oath of office, I swore to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. All elected officials don't... Are, all elected officials govern by our consent. The sovereign in America is the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution. We the people. 
So Romans 13 says, God appoints all positions of authority. The authority in America now in a constitutional republic is we the people. Elected officials governed by our consent and they're constrained by the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution and they must honor the 27 amendments. When they fail to do that, it is our right and our duty in our birth certificate to push back and say no. And they violated that constitution, the 15th amendment, the first amendment, and many others. And, and everyone was silent because rights are like muscles. If you don't exercise them, you lose them. And if you don't understand the constitution, well, we're we've losing been given, them. Dennis, I, that, that's clear. Can I run this by you? Mm -hmm. The fascinating concept to me that inspired me to be both political and to be in the pastorate came out of the book of Exodus. Hmm. You see three to five million Jews who are enslaved in Egypt, crying out to God for deliverance. They're in slavery. God sends Moses from 80 to 120. He led them. Mm -hmm. He sends Moses and Moses confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh's response is, who is God that I should obey him? Mm -hmm. And then he, he doubles the brick output and reduces the materials. And all of the slaves complain to Moses and want to kill him because people want freedom. They just don't want to fight for it. But God still does what he set out to do because the cries of the people, he came to set them free. Ten plagues, miraculous, parts the Red Sea, drowns Pharaoh's army, manna every morning, water where there wasn't, quail blown off course, their shoes don't wear out, their clothes don't wear out. But the greatest miracle of all, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, gets a downloaded moral app, mm -hmm. comes down and the nation's in debauchery, golden calf, rave party happening. And he instructs the children and places the moral law in the center of the community. So from the moral law comes civil law. That's where you get all the other books of, of, uh, of the Pentateuch. But moral law was right there. You don't covet, you don't steal, all that laid out. You don't murder. And here's the greatest miracle. Three to five million people lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. In the stairwell of, of the law school of Harvard, it's a plaque that is used every year and commemorates, I think, a 1911 commencement speech. And it says, the law is the wise restraints that make men free. And you think, how do restraints make you free? You apply restraints or, towards evil in order to pursue excellence. So Patrick Mahomes, when he won the Super Bowl a few years back, I was sitting in a chair like this with a big bowl of potato chips and a large Coke with the belly getting bigger. I would never enjoy football at the level of excellence that Patrick Mahomes was enjoying it because he applied restraints. He didn't eat the big bowl of potato chips. Right. He was out practicing. And that's the Imago day. We've been created in the image of God and, and we're to excel. And we apply restraints towards those things that enslave us in order to pursue freedom, to become magnificent creatures designed for flourishing right life well as 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 you will see in my commentary on exodus did i get that wrong no you got every word right the i'm just doubling your point uh in uh, in judaism you go from passover to pentecost uh or shavuot in, in hebrew which just means weeks you count seven weeks you actually it is a law in the torah the pentateuch uh to uh to make a blessing every day for seven weeks. This is the fifth day, this is the 27th day, and so on. Why are they so organically connected? Because there are two aspects to liberty. Liberty from external bondage and liberty from internal bondage. Sinai is the liberty from internal bondage. Exodus is from external bondage. 
you, if you can't discipline yourself, you're a slave to, to, to your nature, which is, by the way, completely lost in secular society, exactly. completely. And it is the essence of our problem that people blame America, not their own natures for their problems. In a nutshell, that, that to me is everything. So that's why I, my, my hope is that, that Christianity have, have a, a, a revival. I mean, I hope Judaism does too, obviously, but there are far more Christians than Jews in this country. And there are far fewer of both. As you know, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is, is what, uh, what more and more young people identify as. Yeah. And that to me is, is the root of the issue. But I want to say another thing about the liberty as something that I, I have come to realize uh, liberty is a value, not an instinct. People rather be taken care of than be free. That's right. I, I remember the first time you said that, it just blew my mind because I saw that in Exodus. Yeah. They wanted someone to take care of them. They That's didn't want right. to contend for freedom. Or let me go back to Egypt. The food was better. Yeah. They actually said that. We had garlic and leeks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I'll, I'll, you know, slaves have, uh, you know, 24-7 care. <laughs> That's what the, basically that they were yeah. saying. Yeah. If you if you want if now, you want free housing and a bed and three yeah. meals and go to prison. Yeah. Right. That, that's that's yeah. Which some do. Yep. I'm going to tell you something now that you don't expect. Because uh, it's sort of going to come out of left field. But I think I need to tell it to you. So there was something about Jews that non-Jews don't know. And certainly Jews of, of my generation and maybe, you know, 20, 30 years younger. The Holocaust had a, a very uh, traumatic, it's a, I, in some sense, a lot of Jews have PTSD in a certain sense. When, when you know that the most civilized place on earth, Europe, exterminated two out of every three Jews living there, including babies, it's pretty traumatic. It's awful. And so at the same time, there were a handful of people who did rescue Jews, who risked their lives to save a Jew. Corey Ten Boom. So, right, right. Pastor Niemöller didn't right. specifically, but, but he, he did his, he opposed the Nazis. So here's my point that is not known. Jews instinctively, many Jews, think when they meet a non-Jew, would they rescue me? I still think that way, believe it or not, under, under terrible conditions. So this is my belief. You Christians who defied the authorities on COVID are the people I would ask first to violate evil laws and rescue me. I trust you more than I do others, Jew or Christian. If people are going to bend on safety, they'll certainly bend when there's a Gestapo. Nobody was being sent to Gulag. Nobody was sent to Auschwitz. Nobody was knocking on their door and murdering them. And they still bent to the irrationality of, the, of a minuscule percentage of people under the age of 80 dying of this. And they still bent. And that is why it is frightening to me. If they are scared of the authorities on this, they'll certainly be scared of the authorities if it ever became a Nazi or a Soviet type authority. I would knock on your door because you prove to me you listen to God and not the state. You're absolutely right. And, you know, greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. When Michelle and I 
talked about defying the governor's order, or I should say the, the restraining order and being brought in for contempt. The Friday or the Saturday before that, I talked to Michelle and, and her comment was basically similar to Victor Marx's wife. I, I would rather be a widow than be married to a coward. And we had counted the cost. We're going to lose our house. We'll lose our church. We'll get audited. Uh, they're going to make issue of our kids. They're going to, I mean, death threats, going out to your car and seeing a note in your windshield. Good luck starting your car. All of those things were- You had that? Oh, absolutely. So you get- you get For having church services yeah, during You COVID? have no idea the stupidity. And, oh, and, and, it's, it's, and, it, it, and what are they going to do? Threaten me with heaven? I mean, really, that's just so stupid. But I asked the attorney, tell me everything- that, that we're gonna lose. And I was in the airport in Sacramento and he went down the list and I had this massive pain in my shoulder. I tried to get away to, to a lake for a day or two. And he goes down the list and then I stop, and he stops and I said, is there any more? And he goes, well, and he, he listed more. Three or four times he went back and forth. He goes, I can't think of anything else. And, and Michelle and I, at that point, we just said, all right, I know you can't counsel me to break the law, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna break the law. And, and I'll face whatever Caesar wants to give me, mm -hmm. but will you be there to defend me? And he said, absolutely. And, and the, the pain lifted. And this is the most amazing thing, Dennis. I wasn't afraid. Because once you've surrendered it, there's nothing they can take That's from you. That's right. Oh, uh, you're talking to the converted on that one. And, and, and with yep. you, you, you bet your, your life I would be there. Well, I know it. It's a, it's. A, I have no doubt. And not only for you, who I love, right? No, but for and the stranger. Friend, no, no, no. Not because I'm your friend, but because you know what God wants you to do. But that's all that matters. My point was, my friend and a man I adore. I was doing it for the protesters that Sunday, who were yelling at me, and I said, "I'm doing it for your freedom of speech." Yeah, no kidding. I love my enemy. They're not the enemy. They're the opportunity. I, 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 I want right. them to know this, this is so you can do what you're doing. Disagree with me, but I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. You're a better man than me. I don't love Gavin Newsom, just for the record. I, I, I don't hate him. <laughs> I don't hate him. Okay, well, I got you to move a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't have it's, overwhelming feelings you, of joy. Let, let me tell you another thing that I think when, as I talk to you. Uh, uh, Christians and Jews who are religious, uh, obviously, are worried about the, the decline in religion in America. So let me just say this. If, if synagogues and churches had said, we are open, you don't want to come, we are not telling anybody to come, we are not telling any of you it's a religious obligation to come, but we are open. Because here is the data, here are the data on who is dying. And we think the risk is minimal. And the loss to your life of not having a religious service and a religious community for a year and a half is much greater than the loss to your life of this minuscule risk of dying from COVID if you are at all healthy, even if you're 80 and healthy. So that would have ultimately said to people who are alienated from religion, Religion matters. Yeah. If religion is sheep and most rabbis, priests and ministers are sheep, uh, then why be religious? Yeah, it, it, you're worried about your social media following and you're worried about all these other things. And the, I, I'll give you an example of the group of churches I belong to. It's called Calvary Chapel. And they started in 1968 in California with Chuck Smith. He pulled away from the Foursquare Church. And, 
And he looked out at a sea of humanity of all the hippies that had checked into Eastern religions and started, you know, drug use, and they were burned out. And, and 68 was an interesting year. Reagan was governor in California. I think we had the fourth or fifth largest GDP. We had just com completed the California aqueduct, a marvel in engineering, produced more cotton than the entire South combined. Uh, I mean, this was the state of the future. But in 68, Bobby Kennedy was shot. 68, Reverend King was shot. You had the My Lai Massacre, the Tet Offensive. The following year, you'd have the Kent State shooting. And a few short years earlier, JFK was shot. So all these young people who had promised hope and change, all their heroes were dead. And they were burned out on politics. And, and you're watching communism and socialism infused in the country, and it's being torn apart. And Chuck looks out at all these burned out people, and he deliberately avoids politics because they're burned out. But he goes back to a simplistic teaching of the scriptures. And that's what Calvary chapels are known for. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, teaching everything, the whole counsel of God, cover to cover. And he experiences 10,000% growth. There's now 1,800 Calvary chapels around the world. South of Van Nuys, there's more Calvary chapels than Dunkin' Donuts. And it started here. 10,000% growth, and that's conversion growth, not transfer growth. These are all people first time coming to a faith of any sort. Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie. 52 years into this, how's California benefited from this massively growing church? Well, we no longer have the fourth largest GDP. We have the fifth or the sixth. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. You combine the next four largest states debt doesn't equal the debt of California. We, we lead the nation in homelessness and in poverty. And we lead the nation in abortion, transgender bathroom bills, no-fault divorce. It's awful. And I look at churches and I go, where's the power of the gospel? You've abdicated Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my, and everyone says church, when he's talking to Peter. The word isn't church. That didn't come till hundreds of years later. And it was Tyndale who was hung and burned at the stake for translating it properly. He said assembly, because in the Greek, the word is ecclesia or ecclesia. And, and Jesus co-opted a secular term. He didn't say synagogue. He didn't say temple. He used a secular term that had been in Greek culture for hundreds of years. Mm. And it was literally the city council in Greece where the citizens would gather. They would fast. They would offer fire or some sort of sacrifice. They'd spend time in prayer. And above the door before the citizens would gather for the welfare of the city and the, and the laws that they would establish, the, the two words, isonomy and eleutheria, liberty and justice or liberty and equality. And he says to him, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, gates enslave people. The gates of hell will not prevail. I've come to set the captives free. And when you start to see, when people start to see that there is the ability to, to have freedom, like America, 244 years, unprecedented. In the 6,000 years of recorded history, everything's been an oligarchy. We have more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies. You go in an elevator, an American invented it. And if that building's air conditioned, an American invented it. And if you fly to a country where that skyscraper is, that plane was built by an American, invented by an American. Freedom is having choices, Thomas Jefferson said. But liberty is doing what's right. Until you do what's right, you'll never have choices. But those choices can enslave you. And, and so I'll, I'll leave you with this last thought. If your child comes home from school 
and this is the difference between morality and character or liberty and, and freedom. Your child comes home from school and says, mommy, daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. You would say to that child, that's, that's a very moral thing to do, but where's your character? The child would say, what do you mean? Why didn't you tell the other children to stop it? Hmm. Character is doing what's right. Morality is not doing what's wrong. All that's necessary for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Character and it is it coincides with liberty. Do what's right. Then people have freedom. That's how why many, the church how many is other critical. Churches, how many other pastors? Um, I, I mean, can you count them on one hand? Is Can you count them on 50 hands? How, how many others opened up like you did in the country? I don't know the answer. I'm not, it's not a rhetorical question. I'm well, curious. in California, when we had Pentecost Sunday in May 31st, and Jack Hibbs kind of led the charge, and I'd say a thousand churches opened, but then when they came down hard, those churches went back and kind of closed up and did their social distancing. Uh, Charlie Kirk and I worked together, and that, that's one of the reasons why I adore this guy. He navigates in the world of the political arena in a pluralistic society. He's got homosexuals in his, in his organization, churches you know, don't want him because of that. And the reality is, do we relegate people that don't hold to these aspects of our life to a secular progressive mindset? Or can, as it says in Galatians 3, the law is a school teacher and a guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes. And our founder said the laws of nature, nature's God, that if they want to row in the stream of liberty mm -hmm. and they want to defend the unborn, We'll deal with the faith side later. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. This is war to set people free. And, and they're going to they're gonna be, you know, whatever sexual preference or the struggles in those areas. When they come into the church, we'll deal with that. But it's the laws of nature and nature's God and the concept of freedom that's in, intrinsic to every human heart. That awakens people. So you have an awakening before a revival. And what I love about what Charlie's doing, we started this thing called Turning Point Faith. Churches are awakening to their responsibility in the ecclesia or the ecclesia, the public square, that from moral law comes civil law. And we have a responsibility to the entirety of the community and not making the gospel, the good news, the salvation principle of Christianity, myopic or truncated. That you raise your hand, you're like, God bless you, I see your hand, and you check off the box and you get their tithe money. Jesus didn't say make, dis make converts. He said make disciples. And he didn't just say make disciples. He said make disciples of all nations. That's constitutions, boundaries, ideologies. And, and so we're instructing pastors with Turning Point USA Faith. Okay, what does the scripture say about immigration? Because everyone seems to say that the church is supposed to open the borders. But anywhere in the scripture where the word immigration is used or foreigner, foreigner or stranger, it's always for the point of assimilation. Hmm. Right? That's certainly true. The, the You want to come to America? There's, there's seven yes, articles of constitution. Right, become an American. Right. The left is, is telling Americans not to be American. Yeah. You're black. You're gay. You're, you're Hispanic. You're white. The, in fact, if you say we're all American, you're called a fascist. And a racist. Oh, of course. Well, and, you're a racist just by being white. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah I'm, apparently just, systemically. That, that's, that's an achievement by birth. This is the idiocy. This is the idiocy we're supposed to believe. As if, of course, if you had any control uh, of my uh, uh, right. of, uh, of an immutable trait. See, 
I just want to get back to the point, which is, of course, why you're here. Because you're, and by the way, hundreds of churches are, are, are seeing this and joining us. Is that right? Yeah, it's exciting. By the way, just a word about Charlie Kirk. I adore the guy. Me too. And uh, he, he, he puts it very beautifully. He said, Turning Point USA is the Army and PragerU is the Air Force. That's right. The, and, and we both, we, both our organizations, we, we feed each other. We, we love each other. I speak at his conventions. Uh, we have him on... Uh, on Prager U, uh, it's... Our, our introduction to each other, Charlie and I, serendipitous. I, it, I, I call it a God thing. My very first significant conversation with Charlie was all about you. You're mm. his hero, how much you've meant to him, mm, how you. you mentored him. Uh, it, 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 he, he just could not stop seeing you. And that we had had a friendship endeared uh, us to each other, that I had a friendship with you. It was... Seriously, Dennis, you... You're the glue in this whole thing. Well, hmm. you, you bless me more than you know. I'm very touched. If I do, that means a lot to me. People like you and Charlie, that's that, that's a very big uh, compliment, to say the least. We need uh, we need people like you. So I have an interesting question that uh, that I don't know the answer to, and I'm not sure that the answer is knowable. So when I meet people like you, and I ha- or I have people like you on the radio. Like I had I, today, I had I had a doctor on. She's a uh, she's at Sloan Kettering Cancer uh, Center in 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 New York. She's a big doctor, and, and she she simply uh, dissents from the, the, the this blanket of of nonsense that the medical establishment has told us about COVID. So I'm thinking, it's a courageous woman. Yeah. And you're a courageous, uh, don't deny it, I know Christians have a problem with pride. I'm Jewish, I don't have nearly the problem that you do on that. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, so the question I have is, were you born this way? I'm serious, were you simply born with a courageous nature? You were you you were prepared to give up everything. I mean, that's a fact. And you could have they could have really ruined your life, the authorities in in in, in the draconian state of California. So, what do you think when you look at yourself? In, in other words, were you like this at twelve? Did you have a revelation at twenty two? How do you explain you? Uh. I was very self-centered and selfish, young. I was committed. Shocking. Yeah. None of us start yeah. that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was an athlete, so I knew discipline. But I grew up in Coronado, California, which is a Navy town. My dad was a Navy captain. Two or three tours of Vietnam. We're in church, we weren't a church-going family. But they were, my dad ran for city council. My mom was president of Republican Women. My dad was president of Rotary. We walked precincts. We participated in campaigns. I, I grew up with that. I, I was a Republican longer than I, before I was a Christian. And, and I watched their involvement in the community and I was touched by it. And my mom was patriotic and it, it touched her life. And then I would meet guys at, the, at, at our Christmas party every year. I remember Admiral Stockdale mm. with, with his, his leg that was broken, st- sticking straight out. And, and the, the party was so crowded that we'd have to have a walkway for people to get around. My godfather, uh, who I'm named after, Rear Admiral Robert Broussard Early, was at the time, he died at 100, but at the time, he was the highest ranking survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was a lieutenant on the USS Cassin, 
December 7th, 1941. And, and I, had, I had gone for a run for the assembly, just following in my parents' footsteps after I realized I have a responsibility when I became a man. And, and that was a conversion to Christ. I, I had an awakening. So I'm running for the assembly and I don't know my elbow from my earlobe when it comes to politics, but I couldn't take people where I wasn't willing to go myself. And my own party is carpet bombing me in the primary. The party I, I, I'd been a part of my entire life. And, and I, I was gonna miss my, my godfather's 100th birthday. And he was living in Coronado in the house he'd lived in for 50 years. And my mother had died of lung cancer. My father was in a home with Alzheimer's. He was the patriarch of the family for all intents and purposes. So I don't have any money left to contend. I don't wanna go out to my mailbox and see another vicious, vicious mailer. And I drive down to Coronado and I'm discouraged. And I sit down with him and he was still driving at 99, not well, but he was driving. And he'd do a hundred sit-ups through the, through the entire day because he said movement was life. And he looked at me with this booming voice and he said, how's it going? And I said, Uncle Bob, I'm out of money. I'm getting carpet bombed by my own party. I feel like I've led these folks on a rosy road to nowhere and I'm complaining. And he puts his hand up and it's shaking with age. And I'd never heard him angry in 50 years. And I'm named after him. He puts his hand up while I'm whining and he goes, stop it. It paralyzed me. There's nothing like being spanked by a 99 year old man. And he looks at me and says, you don't know tough. I was 16 years old in the Great Depression. We didn't know where our next meal was gonna come from. And had it not been an appointment to the Naval Academy, I would have never received a college degree. And you, Rob, being a history major, don't realize this, but we had, I think he said, the 17th largest military on the face of the earth because we were in isolationist mode. And he said, that day, December 7th, 1941, they sank half our Pacific fleet and they sank my ship. The harbor was on fire and I was pulling my shipmates out of the harbor dead. And the next day we took on a two-fronted war against two fascist nations, brought them to their knees. He said they lifted that Pacific fleet from the bottom of the ocean and floated into Tokyo Harbor for the surrender. And then he said this, I'll never forget it. We were liberators, not occupiers. We asked for only enough ground to bury our dead and we came home. We cut federal spending and we started the greatest industrial revolution in your lifetime. He said, so quit whining and go finish what you started. We've had 244 years of unprecedented freedom. Why am I going to deny my children and my grandchildren? Mm -hmm. Our cowardice is selfish mm -hmm. because a nation grows great whose citizens plant trees of the shade they'll never know. It's not about you and me. It's about the ones behind us. And I saw that in that man and in my dad. Memorial Day, 19, I want to say 74, 75. My dad says, get in the car. And I was nine, 10 years old. And he had been in Vietnam. And I was the youngest of four kids by seven years. I didn't know this man. He was always gone in my formative years. We're driving in the car and I wanted to hang out with my friends for the three-day weekend. And we drive from Coronado North on the on the on the five freeway and we get to Pendleton. I don't know where we're going. We, we go through the gate, they get a crisp salute from the Marine at the guard gate because my dad's a Navy captain. They see the, the bird and we drive into the bowels of Pendleton and we come to this sea of tents as far as I've ever seen. My dad says, get out. And we walk down and there's a table 
with a bunch of card files and more Marines. They salute my father and he gives them a piece of paper. They look through the files and they said, tent, whatever. And we walk through a sea of Vietnamese, as far as the eye can see. Smells and sounds I've never known. We get to the tent and Major Nguyen comes out. He salutes my father and he says, Major, there's, there's no place for that now. Your family, we're going home. He says, Captain, I've married since we talked. He says, get your wife, let's go. And out comes Mrs. Nguyen. She was from a rural village, didn't speak any English. Major Nguyen did because he had had dealings with my father in Vietnam. You get in the car, my father and the major in the front, and I'm in the back with Mrs. Nguyen, and I'm just trying to make her smile and joke, and she's scared and nervous. We get home. I'm sorry. We get home, and Mrs. Nguyen is a newlywed. She wants to please her husband. She's in a new home, and my parents had just remodeled the kitchen, and my mother was meticulous. She would vacuum and you'd have to fly from one room to the next not to make footsteps in the lines and the carpet. And my mom would not permit fried food or the smell of it in the house. And Mrs. Nguyen is frying fish. And it catches fire. And she does what, gosh, she does what any woman in a rural village would do. She kicks it into the ground catches fire on the carpet. She's panicking. She's embarrassed. My mom puts the fire out and I'm thinking, you are going to die. And my mother does nothing. And I'm confused. And I turned to her later and I said, mom, why didn't you get angry? She said, Rob, they lost their country. We can replace the carpet. <laughs> That's America. That's who I am, who I am. I've had... Heroes, history has inspired me. Lives have touched me. That's why I love you. Ooh. I'm glad I asked. I have nothing to say. I can't talk much anymore either. <laughs> I can. I can only uh, thank you for that answer. And what they what is lacked. Lacking is perspective. That's yeah. what you were given. Yeah. I mean, when people to tell me, you know, COVID, that you're gonna you're gonna give everything up. You're gonna let people die alone. You, you're gonna give up liberty. You're gonna believe drivel like masks outside, and be a sheep. When, when guys died on Normandy Beach having Nazi bullets tear them in half and, 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 and shoot their testicles off? Yeah. And, and this is what you're bugging me with? COVID? Well, maybe, there's, maybe it's almost inevitable that if a society gets too free and too secular and uh, uh, too rich, that... that, that that people are preoccupied with trivia. It's what, excuse me, it's what the Scottish historian Robert Teitler said was a Teitler cycle. From, from bondage to freedom, or no, from bondage to faith, faith to freedom, freedom to abundance, abundance to apathy, apathy to complacency, complacency to bondage. And 
you've got to insert, as Oz Guinness points out, and I think Eric Metastas, the, the triangle of freedom, faith, virtue, freedom, to stop that cycle. We, we've got to awaken and, and change the perspective. We're, we're too enamored with the temporary and the baubles and the trinkets that the greater gifts of freedom for generations to come and not bondage because freedom can lead to bondage if you don't apply restraints towards those things that enslave you. Yeah. The freedom to pursue excellence. But, and there are so many ramifications when I think of, of kids, I think of kids all the time. I know my father would have said, you're kidding me. I'm going to suppress my life because of this? It, 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 and he was in the Navy too in World War II. And, and he, was on, he was on a transport, exactly what the kamikazes tried to destroy because they were bringing so many soldiers and Marines over. And I, and I thought about this the whole time. I, I, am, I am going to bend before this, it, it's, it's a virus. It, 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 and I think of the kids, and I think of the kids, kids who have scared parents and kids who have unscared parents. Who's the luckier kid? Just from that perspective. The parents who kept their kids from playing with kids for a year, locked in a house for no reason. How many, as you pointed out, more kids are dying in, in, in drowning yeah. than, than, than they are from COVID. And they did that to have a scared parent is a curse. It's a curse. I didn't have scared parents. I, I, you, you just made me think about that, telling me your story with your parents. That's exactly right. By the way, there's no question. My mother, my, I can match you mother for mother. Amen. Your mother <laughs> would have you fly over the rug, that, the carpet that she had yeah, just vacuumed. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you had this. My mother kept the, the, the couch in the living room in plastic. <laughs> you win. <laughs> I do win. I never actually sat on that couch. As long as I lived in my parents' house till, till, uh, the, till, college, till the end of college, I never sat on, I sat on the couch. But of course, if you wore shorts, you became attached to it in the summer. Yeah. So <laughs> you stick. avoided it in the summer. Your skin was, you, you would hear yourself getting, getting off the plastic. It's like a, it's like one of those fruit rolls. You just peel it off. That's exactly right. That's, yes. That's great. No, you win. I win on that one. But, but we're tied on the, on the parents who taught us what matters and what to complain about. That's a biggie. Yep. Uh, you know, this is another arena of, uh, of where you stand out and where uh, it, it, sh it should be noted uh, the, uh, the Christian support for Israel, which is... is not only theologically called for, that wouldn't be enough even for me, but, but morally. I mean, that there are Christians who think Hamas is the good guy. By the way, there are Jews who think that. No religion has a monopoly on fools. <laughs> I have to say that. We discussed that earlier. Yes, yeah. exactly. But, but I... I, I 
I do want to I do want to mention that as as another source of my my admiration for 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 what you do. Do you, do you feel that that's weakening? I, I think that this season has created, as Vody Bachman's book called Fault Lines, it's created a, a chasm between churches that are pursuing uh, yielding to, to tyranny and fascism, thinking that they're, you know, submitting to Romans 13 and that they're not contending and they're avoiding conflict and they think that's peace and they're surrendering truth and peace is coming at the expense of truth. And then on this side of the fault line are churches that are awakening. These churches, their attendance is dropping. Their social media presence is dropping. These churches are exploding. Every church that's joined us, mm. we've had 400% growth. I was just talking to a pastor in, in the San Joaquin Valley. His church has doubled in growth. And they were already at 1,000 or 2,000. And it's not just people fleeing these churches that have bowed to tyranny. Uh, it, it's it's folks that are, have never darkened the doors of a church, like skaters and surf, surfers whose skate parks have been filled with sand and whose beaches have been closed during this. And they, they, their streams of liberty have dried up. So they go upstream and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And they come to the source and they go, why are you open? I mean, I'm not a churchgoer, but why are you open? One of my favorite signs the day we violated the restraining order, a guy held up the sign. And he says, it took this SHI to get this atheist to church. Hmm. Because Liberty is intrinsic in every human heart. They just don't know the price of it, and some are unwilling to pay it. But when they see you standing for it and they see you appreciate it, yeah, then they're drawn to you. That's what I'm saying. If yeah. you, churches that stand up, you can't alienate the alienated. That's an old phrase of mine. Yeah. So if there are people who are already alienated from churches, so they're all right that they're alienated. But, but there are people who will say, wow, you stand for something. If religion, doesn't, if, if religion is the same as the state, who needs religion? I'll just worship the state. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's like a TED talk with music. If, if it's, if, if there's no conviction. By the way, you mentioned Jack Hibbs, and I, and I wanted to say for, for the record that I adore that man as well. As do I. He's a very, very special human being. Can I put a shout out to my youngest, my son Michael, who has listened to every single one of not only your fireside chats, but all of your teachings, because he had to catalog them for Charlie Kirk. And he's the one who said, you like Nicaraguan's uh, cigars. And that is a bag of Nicaraguan That's cigars. right. I noticed it. And that, he, that, he, I'm very, I was wondering how you knew that. My son, Michael. He adores you. He is, how old is your son? He's 19. Oh, then we'll a, have a cigar together. He would love to. He, he said that that would be the greatest experience of his life would be to sit down with you. Wow. He's a smart kid, too. You did good, my friend. Well, this was as moving to me as I suspect it was to everybody watching. My goodness, Geiger counter has been vindicated <laughs> once again. God bless you, my friend. Love you, Love you, you very much. Thank you. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for watching this video. To keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.